What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Real Estate Virgins podcast. I am your host, Jordan Brown, with co-host and fellow founder of the Real Estate Virgins podcast, John Michael Perez. Yellow. What's going on, man? How are you? Doing good, you know, uh, just like you dealing with Austin traffic. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, heading, heading over here was not fun. Like, I think one thing that people... You know, you hear a lot of great things and realtors always say a lot of great things about Austin. My least favorite is traffic. And I've heard people from like California or, or like up East say like, this is nothing. It doesn't matter because <laughs> I live here. And so, well, yeah, I, I mean, I used to live in Houston and the good thing about Austin is that it's not two hours to get from one side to the other. It's usually like 30, 30 to 45 minutes pretty much. But here the difference is, is like, it's very congested. I remember one time it took me two hours to get from one side to the other just because of the traffic. But it's like a certain time, like, yeah. Five, like right at five o'clock. But besides that, you're good. God, Houston traffic is so bad. Yeah. I, I forgot about that. I would, I would, when Katie and I uh, were in college, I remember I would travel from Victoria up to Nacogdoches to go mm. see her. And if you, if I left like 30 minutes too late, I was already pissed <laughs> because I just knew I was going to be sitting in Ooh. prime time Houston traffic. Um, along oh, you know what? Speaking of traffic, I'm interrupting because Jordan got a new Tesla Y. Let's go. <laughs> it looks awesome. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited. Um, and, and the main reason is like not, not to be douchey about it, but like it's, it's been a goal of mine since 2019 and I I'm, I was never one to get into manifestation and like goal writing until I was hanging out with John and I saw what was working for him and I'm still not like as strict on certain principles like that, but man, it, it's been a goal of mine. I've worked toward Katie and I have worked towards it. And it's not just me. Um, we put ourselves in a position where we were sitting there going, you know, we have two perfectly fine paid off cars, but F it, man. We wanted it. Like we, yeah. we worked our asses off to get there and it's okay to treat yourself. And I, you know, I made this post about it where it was like, you know, I'm not doing this to, cause I think I'm saving the planet or, uh, because I I'm taking like a political stance. It's not that at all. I think it's a sick car. I wanted it. We wanted it and it was the right time for it. So, um, I'm stoked on it. I'm un unapologetically stoked for that car. And it's, but, and, and but Elon, <laughs> I know exactly. Yeah. People in the con, like I said, like, if you, if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say it. And, and then somebody literally commented, I don't have anything nice to say. Dude, but, that's Brian though. He's from hockey. He's, he's, <laughs> he's like, uh, he's like the group hater. It's okay. Okay. He, so he's before, a good dude. Good dude. Before we get into real estate, if you like or learn anything new about the real estate virgins podcast, this episode please share it with your friends. We're getting a lot of momentum right now. A lot of people are listening to the podcast and we just want to continue that growth. So if you like what you hear, please share it with your friend. We're relying on you guys to help us grow this. We, we you know, we're going to continue as long as people are listening and they're getting value out of it, which is the whole goal behind this. Uh, we're going to keep showing up and, and putting out content. So we're relying on you guys, like we said, and, and we kind of blew, I, I blew past the intro. This podcast is a hundred percent about providing value and going through stories for uh, newer agents or agents who are looking to revamp and, and just absolutely take off in their business in 2023 and amplify your business. Absolutely. That's what we're going to do. I mean, we're, we're off to a great start this year. Um, we've continued the momentum from 2022 and, you know, we talked about all the different things that, that we do to ensure that that happens, right? That we continue the, the good trajectory of our business. And so this particular episode of the podcast is actually going to be focused solely on the buyer side of transactions. What does that process look like? What are we talking about with clients? Um, do we have like a, a formula for when you're meeting a new client and what that sounds like and what it looks like? I think a lot of agents don't have a either a plan or they need some guidance as to what like we're doing, right? Like if you don't have any, any other example of your coach or your uh, your team or whoever doesn't have like a set plan in place, you can 
feel free to copy and paste from ours. We're just going to share what works. And that's yeah. what this podcast is, is sharing what works, sharing what works. And the thing is, is there's so many agents right now that are failing big time, like mm-hmm. failing. And I mean, I just heard recently 15,000 agents, some, some crazy number did not pay their, their, uh, their association dues. It's crazy. So that means, that means people aren't making any money in real estate, you know, a, a good portion of them. And, um, and then I heard another thing that the, the average income is like 11 grand. Yeah. If you have a realtor, I mean, if you have the realtor name, uh, behind your real estate name, if you're a part of the realtor association, like 11 grand. Yeah. That can't do a lot with that. That's (laughs) that doesn't, that doesn't exactly instill confidence that that's going to be my future. Right. I know. But do you, I have a question before we like dive into this. That 11 grand, like I know that that turns a lot of people off and like people, you know, in their first year didn't sell a whole lot. Do you think that people are giving up too early or do you think people are maybe realizing that it's not for them? Is it a combination of both? Like, I feel like you have to give your business a little bit of time to, to develop. I did uh, the things that I'm doing now are the same things I was doing at the beginning and I just didn't see the results. Right. And so, but you stick with it and I think people, you know, start to see you as the, the expert in your area and they start trusting you and you get more transactions, you build that confidence and that shows through in your content, your posting and your conversations. Well, we've talked about this before and people are so used to working a week and getting paid on Friday. And the thing is, is in real estate, you work months and you may not get paid. (laughs) Yeah. And so the thing is, is like, you got to continue to work and there's a hundred different ways to find leads in real estate, but you can't just do them for a couple of days and not see results and then try the next thing. You know what I mean? And so many agents do that. Shiny object syndrome. Yeah. It's like, you gotta, you gotta allow the things that you're doing to come back and reward yourself for doing those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it, you just said it, you can go months on end without making a dime and then you can go through like a two to three month period where you made people's salaries. It's, it's kind of crazy that way. We had a big closing last week and we, we made, did. Yeah. I mean, honestly, <laughs> we, it was a flip of ours yes. and we, we sold it. And we're very happy that everyone in the transaction is happy. We probably missed out from the peak of the Austin market by about five weeks, which sucks. But we probably made about 70K less than what we would have if we would have hit it with the market. Which, but guess what? We're still going hard. Yeah. And we're not we're not harping on it. Like, yeah, we could have made an extra 70 grand. But, but guess, so who cares? Who so cares? What? Now, what's, let's go to the next thing, yeah. right? What's the next thing that's going to make up for it exactly. or that's going to be bigger and better? And that's then uh, too many people harp on the failures. They, they, they focus too much on what's going wrong instead of what's going right. And then they lose sight of their goals and their ambitions because things aren't going right. And that's the major difference between a top producing real estate agent and an agent that's going to quit because they can't afford their their association dues. I was scrolling on Facebook last night as most, you know, a lot of us do. And I'm in a ton of real estate groups. I know you're in like lab. Are you in lab code agents? And I think so. And then like real estate mastermind, like some of the big, like national ones, you get a lot of bull crap in there and like you, and I can't help. I'm a sucker for that stuff. And, and just like you said, people kind of focus, they lose like all this momentum focusing on this, these negative interactions with people. I see them post about like people who are mean to them on, uh, you know, on YouTube or they say it like a rude comment. I know I, I had a section about that in the previous episode, but you can't let it stop you. Like you, you're in like a momentum based business and people based business. And like the more conversations you have, the more you're opening yourself up to have those negative interactions, but you just got to move on. You got to have a short term memory and focus on the 99% of people who are actually nice to you Mm -hmm. and, and encouraging you and supporting you. So, but yeah, last night this, this, uh, agent was saying, yeah, I'm having this situation with a family member who like isn't supportive of me in real estate. And, uh, they, you know, her son needed a, a house and they didn't go with me and it hurt my feelings. And I'm like, why are you posting this? <laughs> like, what, what are you hoping that like everyone's just gonna be like, Oh, that sucks. I'm so sorry. This happened to you. 
like on to the next. Like that's as, as much tough love as that is. You have to get over it quickly, yeah. quickly, and, and just move on. So and I left a little comment on there just because everyone else seemed to just be like, "Oh, this is." I was like, "No," I was like, "On, oh, move on." If they're not going to work with you, they're not going to work with you. So like, well, stop. I, I mean, I do understand from their perspective, especially when you first get into real estate, like you, you spend time on these relationships and they end up using somebody else that does hurt for sure. It does. Uh, but as you grow, you know, and the years go by and that happens multiple times, it's like, okay, on to the next one, on to the next one. I think that's like the next thing. And that's the thing that's always in my mind is on to the next one, right? Because if we're focusing on what's not working, then more things are going to not work. Well, a lot of times it's not personal too. Like this person was a newer agent and I had a very similar situation with the the first house I ever sold. Um, They used me to locate the house and go under contract with me. It was a new build, but I didn't get the listing. Mm -hmm. Even though I killed the listing presentation, they knew me personally and knew I wasn't an agent for very long so that you know trust in a big transaction like that even though i did everything right i didn't get the business and i remember being hurt by that but i didn't go on facebook and sulk about it <laughs> it's just on to the next like you, you just have to it's, it's like next man up next client up right so anyway um like we said this episode is going to be very focused on the buyer process and like what we tell our buyers So let's go ahead and get started into it. Um, One thing that I always do, like when I get an internet lead, um, after you schedule to meet with them, like, do you have a process for that? Like, do you have a game plan going into a meeting with a new client? Yeah, so I always set up a buyer consultation. I think that's one of the most important things that a lot of people skip. They'll go straight to showing houses or go to straight, straight into showing Uh, or sending properties. But for me, it's like, hey, let's set those expectations. Let's set the groundwork, the roots of this relationship. Let's make those strong before we actually start uh, getting into showing houses and getting into it. So basically, in that buyer consultation, I'll I'll talk about uh, prices, uh, you know, money that they're going to be spending, you know, what they're going to be spending it on, like an appraisal, an inspection, um, option period, earnest money, um, you know, what type of inspections that, that they're going to expect, as well as what they're going to expect inside the inspection. I think I just repeated myself. Um, And important things to look for, like the roof, plumbing, foundation. Stop focusing on the paint. Like you can paint that shit later. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I talk about that kind of stuff in the buyer consultation and just let them know like the things that happen during a transaction and then how long the transaction should last. Um, It's just really important to have a buyer consultation as well as a listing consultation, but uh, both setting it up, maybe get on the phone first, ask what their wants and needs are, and then say, when's a good time that we can either jump on a Zoom or we can meet in person? That consult is so big. I mean, it's it's crucial because I think the impulse for new agents is, I got to show them houses immediately so that like they're more inclined to go with me, right? Well, you can burn yourself that way mm-hmm. and they could just be using you to show houses and uh, they could have no intention of actually using you as a as a you know, their agent or their representative for the transaction. So sitting down to lay out those ground rules is huge. I mean, I have a, I have a pretty crazy story that I'm going to be telling here in a few weeks about a transaction kind of dealing with that. (laughs) So stay tuned, uh, you know, subscribe to the the channel to make sure you don't miss that one. It's going to be a juicy one. Yeah. I mean, and, and also one, you can build rapport with your client during that, uh, that zoom or that in-person meeting. And then two, asking the right questions so that later on in the transaction or in the relationship, when you're showing houses and they're like, we don't really like two story houses. Those are the questions that you can ask in the very first time that you have a consultation. Like what's important to you when buying a house? Oh, well, we want a big yard because we have three dogs, right? I heard something really good and I, and, and it was earlier today. It was like, Hey, when you're first meeting up with someone, always try to build rapport. Now, what does building rapport look like? Find something that you have that's in common with them and then talk about it. So for example, I had a client that was from Corpus Christi. Oh, we have the same area code. 
I grew up in Victoria, Texas. And so we're only an hour and a half away. What did you like about Corpus Christi? Mm-hmm. You know, just simple things that we have in common. Or like yeah. sports. Like, or sports. Like yeah. a lot of people are real, real big fanatics about sports or like what's going on in the area, things like that. Like, uh, especially if it's like people here, they, they care about like UT football. Mm-hmm. Um, so find, just ask questions. Like if, and if they don't, don't get hung up on it. Why, on. why did you move here? You know, what, why Austin? Why Leander, Texas? Why Cedar Park? And then they'll, they'll tell you their story and then you can start building rapport and finding things that you have in common with them and start building that connection. And then, and then you can get into asking the real estate questions as well. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So I, I interviewed over the phone for an opportunity to help this person move from Florida to here. So what does it look like over the phone with someone you know nothing about? And so I just asked a few questions like, you know, tell me about, you know, where you're at right now. And they said, oh, we're in Florida. We blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, cool. I said, I've only been to Florida uh, a handful of times. I said, I went, I used to be in a metal band actually. And we toured to uh, Pensacola and we played at the handlebar. I said, so that's my experience with Florida. And she was laughing because she goes, oh, wow. She goes, so your impression of of Florida is the handlebar, huh? So she knew about that. Yes. So it was pretty cool just because like that little shot in the dark that we were going to have something in common ended up being a, a talking point for, for but, both of us. But people don't know how important what you did is like they don't finding something in common with that client. Um, at the very beginning of that relationship is so important. It disarms them yes. because you're, you no longer feel like this total stranger. Mm-hmm. And so they have this almost like, Hey, like this person has been where I live. Like, that's kind of, that's kind of cool. Like that's maybe something that separates you from other agents. Mm-hmm. So whatever edge you can get by building rapport. And plus like you just genuinely should want to know about the people that you're helping. Yeah. So, um, we sort of briefly went over it, but what are the questions that you're asking during a buyer consultation? I mean, for me, I, I'm asking what their goals are, right? Because I want to understand if we're going to go through this buyer consult that I'm telling you the correct information that's pertinent to what your goals are. Ooh. So are you an investor? Are you someone looking for your first house? Are you going to be here for 10 years, 20 years, two years? Those conversations all look different. And so I need to figure out as quickly as possible what that goal is for you so I can best help you obtain that, no matter what that is. Yeah. One mentor told me, he said, ask them, act like they can't see, or no, not act like they, act like they are looking at their dream home. Close, ask them to close their eyes and to look at their dream home. What does that look like? And then you start getting a picture of what they want. And now you can start looking for properties like that. Yeah, that's cool. I know, like, I also ask, um, I try to figure out what, what have you done so far? Right. So where in the process are you? So are you just looking? Are you just curious about what home buying is? Are you already pre-approved? Do you already have a handful of of, uh, houses that you're interested in? That helps kind of facilitate what I do need to go over and what I don't. It's pretty much like guiding them to where they need to go. Exactly. You're trying to find out what, what map am I using for this client? That's Mm. it because everyone has different maps. Some people who don't know anything about home buying is going to look a lot different than this is our 30th property. Like we're, we're investors. We're, we're looking for this and this. So you don't have to go over certain parts of it with them or, you know, maybe you do it just, you'll, you'll know what to go over and what not to. Another thing is, is asking the right questions will help you when it comes to what kind of loan program they're looking at, you know, Hey, how much money do you have to put total toward purchasing a house? And they're like, well, we only have seven grand. Okay. Seven grand probably won't pay for the down payment plus the closing costs. So is a USDA uh, loan going to be sufficient for you? Now, the thing about USDA loans is that they're only in certain areas and it's a little farther out, right? And then you have first-time homebuyer programs uh, and those are awesome, but the interest rates are a little higher and those will pay for the down payment plus closing costs, right? But the monthly payment is going to be a little higher. Um, And then FHA loans as well. Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing this up too because I know for me, my process, especially when I'm meeting with a first-time home buyer, I print out my. Uh, I have a first-time home buyer guide oh, basically, nice. and I bring that to the meeting with them. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to be going over kind of what the contents of that looks like. 
And so what I do is I take this ominous, you know, intimidating process of home buying to someone who doesn't know, it seems intimidating. Oh yeah. Right. Even to people who do know, like knowing that they're going to be all up in your business and asking about that, uh, gas card, your mom got you when you were a freshman in high school, they're going to ask you about, about all kinds of things. So it can be intimidating. I want to take that process and make it as user-friendly easy to understand as possible. So I have a seven steps of home buying and I put this in the guide. Nice. So like you were talking about loans, the first thing that you have to do when you're looking to get started in the buying process is secure financing. Are you going to be paying all cash? Are you lucky enough that you're going to you know, have a, an all cash transaction? Is this the same uh, buyer consult that I use as well? Maybe. Or you just change it up a little bit? Maybe. Okay. Well, let's discover it together. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, um, so the first thing is secure financing. Are you going to be a cash buyer or are you going to have to get a loan? Those are really your only two options. So, you know, if you're a cash transaction, there's certain benefits to you as a client. You know, you can close quicker. There's less uh, digging into your, your personal finances. But when you're getting a loan, uh, there's all, like John was saying, there's all different kinds of loan programs available to you. I bought my house with a USDA loan. I didn't have to, I got a refund at closing. Like there, it was sick. And I've used USDA to get other people out in Leander, uh, homes for, I think I had a client move in for $300 when it was all said and done, they cost them $300 to move into a home. But, and the, they, but the downside is, is they do have to drive a little farther out. You know? Yeah. USDA is, is cool. Um, and it's a great program. Like I said, I utilized it. The one thing about it is that it's meant to develop more rural areas. So you're not going to get that in Austin proper, right? You're going to get that in Maine or Elgin, uh, Jonestown, Lago Vista. And it's easy to see if the house is going to be eligible for USDA. Just Google search USDA eligibility, and it's going to be the first one on the very top. And then type in the the address on the search bar of the USDA eligibility website, and it'll let you know if it's eligible or not. Yeah, very easy. I mean, and that's available not just to us, that's available to, to consumers as well. So if you're looking on a different website and you want to know, um, you know, ask your realtor or you can look it up yourself. Mm -hmm. How about that? Yeah. So, uh, so second, after they, you know, secure the financing, we understand what they're either pre-approved for or how much cash they have available. Then they hire a realtor. So you're there hoping that, uh, you can help guide them through steps one, one to two already, right? You're like, when you're presenting this, you know, buyer's consult with them, you're selling yourself. Here's why you should work with me. And so you're really striving for that second thing. Um, and that's going to help them understand realistic expectations. It's going to get them a feel for you, how it's going to be working with you. I even go as far as to say how many homes I like to show in a single day, right? Because I don't want someone who's like, Hey, I've got 10 homes. Let's go look right. Cause that's going to not be as good of an experience for them. And if they're a new home buyer, they don't know that. But after about home six, you start like kind of mixing details, you, you know, the, the door from, you know, house two that you liked, was that house two or was that house four? Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that you're not overwhelming them with, with information anyway. So step two, they hire a realtor. Hopefully it's you, you do a good job and you earn the business. So then step three is you begin the home search. And the reason it's important to lock down that client is a lot of them like to use Zillow. A lot of them like to use realtor.com or some other third party site, which is fine if it's a guide, but you really want them on your portal. And the reason that's important is not only is it best, the best experience for them because you know, they're getting information directly from your local MLS that's updated in real time as quickly as possible. Um, but you're getting the insights, you're getting the analytics as far as like what they're looking at. You know, you're getting to see what their favorites are. You're getting to see if there's like a trend with, you know, maybe their, their search area is actually a little more expansive than what they thought. You know, I had a client tell me, like, I, I got to be in Cedar Park or Leander. And then I started noticing that, you know, they would, they would have favorites that were in Round Rock. And so I'd be like, Hey, like, you know, Hey, I, I saw in your portal that you favorited some Round Rock houses. What's up? And they're like, Oh, well, you know, if, if the right house is out there, yeah. And that's how you learn more information where if they're on Zillow and you're not getting any of that info or realtor.com and 
you're not getting updated with that, then you're missing out on a key piece of, of the analytics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's funny because those are in, we're using this whole consultation as asking the right questions so that now we know, Oh yeah. Round rock might be a good, good option as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so step four is you start, uh, I, I have a question for you before we move on to step four. Do you, when do you make people sign a buyer's rep agreement? Ooh, this is a spicy question. It's uh, a loaded question. This is a loaded question. Cause it's different. So when I was taking my classes, uh, to get my real estate license, everyone told me to get it before we start showing houses. And then when I joined the first brokers that I was a part of, they said, get it signed before you start showing houses. But I'm not going to lie. Over the years, I started um, showing houses first, making sure that we had a great, great rapport. I wasn't going to waste my time with people that weren't 100% interested in me already. So when I wrote up the offer, I would send the buyer's rep as well. Um, now that's a little different than most people I know. Um, but there's, cause there's a risk that comes with that. Yeah. Like is. you're, you're risking that. Let's say you show them houses for two days in a row and then they either disappear and they stop talking to you or, um, all of a sudden, Oh yeah, my cousin's a realtor. Yeah. I forgot. I forgot my cousin's a realtor. Yeah. Like there is a risk with that for sure. Uh, but, but I like that approach. I like that you you're making sure it's also going to be, a, um, like a mutually beneficial relationship before locking them into something. And you know, for me, if I know the person, I'm, I'm the exact same way. I don't have them sign until we're making an offer. I'm going based on the trust that we have from an existing relationship. Yeah. You know, before I'm going to lock you into something or, or make you feel like I locked you into something. That, that one transaction that you had recent that we're going to be talking about in a few weeks, what did you do in that situation? So I didn't, I did the exact same thing. I didn't have them sign until, until we were making an offer or going under contract. Now this transaction that you'll hear about is the reason that I'm going to, going to be switching mm, how okay. I do things okay. because I think that there was for a, everyone or just, I think for people I don't know, that's, I would say, yeah, I it's probably a good rule of thumb that like, if you know them and you trust them, like you can feel free to not have to like have them sign a buyer's rep until, until you're making an offer. Yep. But if you don't know them and you don't have that rapport and they're, you know, if you have kind of an off feeling about how things might go, trust your gut and just, and lock it up yep. because you can absolutely get burned. And luckily I did not get burned on this one, but it very easily could have happened. Yeah. For sure. So anyway, so fourth, make an offer. Yes. So number four is to make an offer. So this is where, uh, you're going to be going over the terms with your buyers. Cause there's so much more to it than just the closing, like, like what your, uh, what your asking price is. Yeah. You know, in, in the minds of your buyers, they may not know, uh, what an option period is. They don't know what earnest money goes towards. Like this is where you're sitting there explaining, like showing your expertise. Yeah. This is where you're like, Hey, this is why you hired me. I know. And a lot of times I ask, Hey, so have you been through the buying process before? Just so that I can sort of get a temperature of where they've been and what they've done. And if they said no, then I'll just go through the entire thing. Or if they say yes, I'll go through the entire thing again and say, you may know this already, but I'm just going to go do a, a, a quick run through of it. Um, and yeah, things can also vary by region. Like for example, if, if there's someone moving from Georgia like that may be different or New York that's diff. that may do things differently uh, here in Texas than they do up there. Uh, and was, they absolutely do things different. A hundred percent. I was selling a house in Victoria, Texas, our hometown and everything across the board, all earnest money was a thousand dollars flat. Yeah. Flat. Every, interesting. Every yeah. offer was a thousand dollar earnest money. Every earnest money was or every option period was about a hundred bucks similar. Wow. Yeah. And then everybody, submitted offers that were like 14 day option periods. Right. And that was during the, the, 
the crazy times. That's so wild because it's so different than what we were going through. Yeah, I know. So even in the same state, just two or three hours away, mm -hmm. things could be completely different. Yeah. So you they, can't they assume norms. So you can't assume that everyone has had the same or that they know based on prior experience because they may be new to the area. And again, that's where you come in as the local expert. I think that's why it's so important to hire a local expert because there's agents that will sell houses in different cities, but they don't know the, the area, the norms and all that, you know, it's the same thing with lenders. Like why? Like I hate when I don't hate, sorry, you just clients, clients, you're welcome to use whoever you want. <laughs> but if you're coming at me with like, Hey, we got pre-approved through rocket mortgage. I'm immediately like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. because like I would rather, I prefer for you to have a better experience with someone who knows your actual local market, who lives here, who closes here all the time. And you know, if there's any issues with a, appraisal or anything like that, like you have someone who understands this market on a very daily basis in your corner. I've worked with big mortgage companies, uh, and it seems like I'd have to talk to five people before I talk to the actual person that's making the decision. And so I have a client that's like, hey, man, what do I do in this situation? Let me ask the lender real quick or asking the lender the right questions. But then I talk to the the front desk, the manager, the regional manager, and the un and before they can even talk to the underwriter. But when you talk to a local, when you work with a local lender, they have in-house underwriting. And so you can get direct answers almost instantly. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just so important for clients, especially if uh, the house is in a local area and the market's different from any other market, uh, they can take those uh, differences and, and make the right decision. Yeah. Cause during the transaction, you may need to talk to your lender quite a bit you know, to, to get a feel of where you're at or, or what information they need. And so whenever you're dealing with deadlines and time sensitive stuff, it's important that when you call that lender answers and it's not operator, how can I direct your call? Do you know your party's extension? And you're like, no. <laughs> uh, and they're like, okay, well it's just, it's so different. It's just the smoother things can go. And like the less people in between you and the direct person you need to talk to the better. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so fourth is you're making an offer. Again, this is your time to shine as the expert. This is where you're putting up the initial terms that are, you know, what your buyer is comfortable with. And you're, you know, in this market, in the, this day and age right now, uh, this kind of shifting buyer's market that we're in, you can be a little aggressive, you know, you can, you can ask for a few, few thousand, 10,000. I mean, I just went under contract 31,000 below. Yeah. You know, um, so make, you know, feel free to make those offers, make sure your, your clients on board and hash out the, the small details with them. And I'll, I'll give you this pro tip, go over the contract with them, go over the offer with your client every single time. Do not assume that they know anything about it. Ooh, I need to do that more. It's just like, like, again, this, this whole situation that I just went through transformed the way that I think about new clients. Mm. I think of them now more as even if they think that they know they don't Yeah. or they, or it's possible that they don't. Yeah. And so I still need to do my job of educating them and being, you know, performing at a high level by educating them on every step of the process. And that includes the offer. Mm -hmm. So now, even if I know you, I'm going to go over the offer from, from start to finish with you. Do you have any advice when it comes to representing a client on a new build? Because as agents, I feel like we don't have to do as much when it comes to new builds, but our value is one, finding the right property two, making sure everything goes smoothly uh, a three, getting the information to the client. Uh, and a lot of times there might be delays in communication and you got to figure that out. Do you have any, any, um, any value when it comes to that or any advice? Yeah. I mean, I would say when it comes to new builds, you're right. It's a lot more hands off of a process. Once you're under contract, I think you can't like, you don't forget about your client. That's it. Like yeah. there's still deadlines. 
there's still important dates to remember. And the, the more that you can help them stay on top of that and, you know, getting your, I mean, you still have to get your earnest and option money in. Yeah. You still have to do a final walkthrough. Mm -hmm. You still need to make sure that like, do you want to get a third party inspection? Yeah. Um, all these things are really important. And, it's not like you're the builder is going to sit there and go, Hey, are you, do you want that third party inspection? Like they, they want you, they want to close that as soon as possible. They, they're not acting on your behalf, like, like in your favor, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. They're just trying to get it closed and move on. Otherwise the houses would after inspection would be perfect. And usually they're not. Yep. And so that's where you yeah, can I mean, come you'd in. be surprised. New builders, sometimes they skip steps. And that's why it's so important to get a third party inspection, somebody that's not connected to them in any way, shape or form that can give you a, a unbiased opinion on what's going on with the house. Because even with new builds, especially within the last couple of years, um, things go wrong. Yeah. They either like sped up the process or like they skip over certain things because they're just trying to like close out this neighborhood or, um, you know, the, the labor's cheaper. Like everyone's trying to offset costs of increased uh, labor and materials. So you need to make sure that you're still protecting your client. And that's really all it is. It's like, as long as you are still active in the transaction, you're there to support them. You're there to answer questions when they have them. That's really all like you, they can ask for me, right? Like yeah. um, the negotiation part is typically done. Like there's not a lot of room, room for that with new builds. So um, what about you? Do you have, do you have anything to add to that as far as like what you would do for clients in a, in, in a new build? With new builds, um, somewhere about halfway between the transaction, I will send them information about the immediate area, um, just new stuff, uh, maybe send them some information about the amenity center, uh, send them information about, you know, utilities, stuff like that. Um, and then also, um, I will call the sales rep and continually ask them about updates to give us updates because sometimes they get busy too and they'll forget about sending us updates. Um, and then another cool tip is that if I'm out showing properties to other clients and it just so happens I have a house that's under contract in that same area, I will stop by the property, take a quick picture and say, Hey, your house is going along really good. Uh, this is what it looks like right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's other things you can do too. Like you can do vi uh, video tours of the property mm -hmm. to, to just keep them updated, uh, especially if it's nearby. So having that positive relationship, like the sale, like everyone's on the same team. That's the, that's the other part of this is like the sales rep there. They want to work with us to make sure that we're happy and get things closed. You're there to represent your client, make sure that the builder is doing their part mm -hmm. and holding up, you know, if, if we're about to fork out X amount of money, like you're going to give us an X amount of money product. So yeah. you're holding them to the standard. You're as buying well. a new build. Yeah. So it should come perfect. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so uh, step five in this seven step process of buying houses, you are officially under contract. So all the terms have been agreed upon by both parties. You have an executed agreement. And now it, it you know, now is the crunch time for getting your earnest and your option money in. Mm -hmm. And so uh, making sure that your clients understand that earnest and option gets credited at closing. Like that's, that's another important thing is a lot of, a lot of times they don't know what happens with that money. So make sure they understand, you know, if you back out within your option period, you're going to get this back, but you're not going to get this. Or yeah. A lot of, a lot of clients are going to be like, Hey, so what next? And then pretty much I'll tell them, Hey, we're going to need to turn in earnest money within, I think it's 48, 72 hours. And yeah, depending on like if it's a holiday or a weekend, yep. yeah, two days. And then also, uh, we're going to get an inspection scheduled as soon as possible because we want enough time to be able to look at what's wrong, look what needs to be fixed and still have time to negotiate. And so at that time I will send my clients, a, a, a couple of options for inspectors so that it's on them to pick the inspector. Um, and then also, so I, I do do a little bit more work and I will call these inspectors and usually the one with the better price, I'll let them, I'll let the client know, Hey, this one is $50, $75 cheaper just to let you know. Yeah. And I, so that's step six, right? So things start to like really roll after you go under contract. Yeah. So a lot of this is like, here's a step, but they're, they all kind of work together. So step six is again, you get your inspection done, your appraiser goes out there and you do your final negotiations within your options. 
inspection period. Mm -hmm. So that's your time where, you know, you want to get your inspector out there as quickly as possible. If you have like a seven day option period, you want as much time to be able to go back and forth on the negotiations to hash that out as possible. If they're not going out there till day six, you are backing yourself into a corner. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know. And, and the thing is agents, this is very important is to not wait until the last day to get requests repairs requested because that's going to be a a very bad situation for your clients because you never know who's on the other side of that transaction and they may just say no and then now your client has to make a decision within 30 minutes as to whether or not they want to buy that house or not yeah so this again act with urgency you know time is is absolutely of the essence absolutely if there's anything that that i took away from the the training and like the online courses and all that is that time is so important in real estate yeah and the quicker that you act the better it is for your client and you put them in a better position to make an informed decision and not a panicked decision 100 percent uh so lastly the very last seventh step of this process is you close on the home so that means that you are as the agent you remind them hey we're at this place at this time make sure you bring a valid uh, government id most commonly a driver's license because i by the time that you've you go to the closing table you've probably already told them this like hey like when you when you close on the house like that's i know that's in my in uh, my buyer's rep sorry my buyer's presentation is you know hey here's what closing looks like you bring your driver's license it's been probably 30 days since they heard that. Mm-hmm. And so you need to remind them of that. Otherwise, you're not going to close. What's another thing you need to remind them not to do before they close? Take out any new lines of credit. Uh, don't buy that car to celebrate, you know, things like that. Um, you want to make sure that you are the, the picture that you painted when you got approved is the same picture that you're doing at closing. 100%. Because otherwise, you can absolutely jeopardize that transaction. And lose a lot of money, you mm-hmm. know, your earnest money, your option money. If you get a new car and celebrate, you're not going to be able to buy that house anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I had to wait until, uh, you know, when we were looking at loans to refi, I, I held off from from applying for the, the Tesla and everything because mm. that was... I was like, I, I can't do that. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want, you know, this new debt to appear on my report. I want to close don't, this out. Yeah. Also, don't quit your job. Uh, oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Cause I've had clients quit their job and be like, Oh, no worries. I'm, I'm, I'm getting another job in a couple of weeks. I was like, well, we can't continue this transaction until you get that new job. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, a lot of things that you've just got to be diligent on and like get ahead of it. Like what are, what are the possible scenarios that are going to ruin this transaction Mm -hmm. and make sure you tell them not to do that. We're giving you guys a lot of information. So if you need to go back and listen to this again, please do because it's important, especially when you're representing buyers. Yeah. And a lot of this is just coming from a place of experience. Yeah. You know, you don't, a lot of this stuff you don't think about until it happens. A hundred percent. And so if we can help you, you know, identify these potential issues with, with your future clients. Like we want to save you that heartache of, you know, showing up to the closing table and now, you know, they don't have their driver's license. It's four 30. They can't get it. So they have to push closing. But now the, the sellers are like, Ooh, well like the market shifted, like we could get better. So like and then we're the gonna, buyer buys a car. Yeah. Like there's just, <laughs> <laughs> there's just so many things like, uh, it's funny because whenever I call, I call my mom and I'll tell her about like things that are going on with my real estate career and I'll be like, you know, oh yeah, I've got, got one under contract and she's more excited than I am about it. And I'm like, I don't get excited about going up. I get a, like this much excited whenever I go under contract, but I get, you know, really excited when it closes. Cause there's yeah. so much stuff that can go wrong that will prevent you from closing and you won't be excited anymore. I get more excited when option period's over. I'm like, okay, now, yeah. now, now I can kind of start to, to smile a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So after you close, is there anything as a real estate agent, is there anything that you do for the client? Absolutely. So especially if it's a first time home buyer, they probably don't know what a homestead exemption is. Oh, and so what I do is I always make it a point to say, you know, at the closing table, hey, this is your primary residence. This you know qualifies as a because uh, if it's an investment, it doesn't qualify. It's not protected by your homestead exemption. So keep that in mind. If you're using this as an investment property, you can't claim that for you know homestead. 
protection against taxes. But if it's your if it's your primary residence, your homestead exemption prevents your taxes from you know skyrocketing year over year, and so they don't they won't remember that. And so I usually I write them a, a thank you letter within a week of them moving into the house, just as a kind of a hey thank you again so much it was it was a pleasure to to help you out, so excited for you, and then within a month after closing. I'll send them a reminder about their homestead exemption. I'll oh. send them the county website that, oh. that applies to them. I'll tell them, remind them again why it's important that they do this and kind of a time frame of when I think, you know, when they should do it. Yeah. That's awesome. What about you? Um, for the most part, not every single transaction, but for the most part, um, I will do the homestead exemption. I will do, uh, actually every transaction I'll do the homestead exemption. Uh, and then I will try to look on their personal Facebook page if they have one and see what they're interested in and try to get a, a closing gift that's related to what their interests are. So like if they like the office or if they like a certain band, like, um, or like if they have dogs, then I'll get something like that for them. Um, just something that's a little more personal so that they'll remember me by it. Um, I did do it a couple times was, uh, get a canvas of a picture of their house. And then I took it on fiverr.com and you can get an artist to do like a water brush painting and then you can print out a canvas and give it to them and it looks awesome that's a great gift i've done that a couple of times too yeah. yeah it's awesome whether it be like their their new house or like a family picture or something like something cool that's you know like almost like a piece of art that they can hang in the house and every time they look at it they're gonna think of you yeah yeah um i do i do cutting boards a lot a lot of people are real big into or a lot of my clients have been into cooking and like the kitchen's kind of the heart of the home. And so if I can give them something that they use on a regular basis, then, you know, they, they may remember me for that. That's awesome. I was at a mastermind this morning and this uh, transaction coordinator was a guest. She was talking about how sh they automate the closing gift. So that's just a part of their process. So that's, that's, that's awesome. Pretty, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is right. cool. Uh, Another really cool thing that John has done as uh, which I want to do is a uh, cameo. Yeah. Cameo is really cool. So if you don't know what that is, you can get like celebrities or actors, uh, band, band members. Um, you did for Dave Matthews band, right? Yes. And so he got the guitarist, the violinist, the violinist. So one of his clients was really into the Dave Matthews band and he got the violinist to make a video on cameo for his clients. Think about how excited they were to see their, one of the members of their favorite band talking directly to them about buying a house. Yeah. Pretty sick. So do you think they're going to work with anyone else? Hell no. <laughs> yeah. We've already looked at other houses with them yeah. as well, which is really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, um, I got a quick question though. When it comes to, you know, you close on the deal or before you even close on the deal, do you offer commissions to, uh, to make the deal happen or anything like that? No. No. Okay. No. If it's like, um, I don't know if it's a family member or something. And if it's a listing, like I might help them on that side. That's probably my only exception because in no other job, like how, how would you feel in any other job? If someone came up and asked for a part of your paycheck, mm -hmm. it's kind of a slap in the face that like, you know, there's more to, what we do than just like what you see in the transaction. Yeah. We're, we're saying up, to, you know, the reason that your process was so smooth or as smooth as it was is because of our expertise. It's what we're doing outside of the transaction. We're keeping ourselves, you know, verse in the market. And there's a lot of unpaid things that we do. And again, we don't know where our next paycheck is going to come from. Mm -hmm. And I, if the only reason you're working with an agent is because you're going to get a kickback, kick rocks. I don't want to work with you anyway. Yeah. Like that's, that's just my, my take on it. Yeah. Do you have a rule for, for that? Um, so yeah, very similar. I do not lead with discounts. Um, there's only two reasons why I would give a discount. And one would be if they're part of some type of exclusive offer or group that I'm a part of. And I say, Hey, since you're a part of the dad's group, I'm going to give a little bit of kickback right now. It makes them feel special and they're going to tell other people in the dad's group. Right. And so, I mean, on average it costs 
the average real estate agent cost spends, I think it's $2,400 for a lead, right? And so for me, if I give them a $1,000 kickback for this exclusivity discount, because they're a part of this group, um, I don't lead with it, right? I do not lead with it. But if I feel like there's any tension or anything like that, I will offer it. And then the second one is if it's the deciding factor of closing a deal or not. That's what I, okay. So if, if that wasn't yours, that was going to be my, like kind of my kicker there was I've never been in the situation where it was, Hey, if you don't do something about your commission, we're going to lose this deal. But if it came down to that, I probably would. There's three people that you can talk to, to make a deal happen. That is one yourself, right? So if you need to wiggle a little money in and the lender as well, they'll be able to wiggle a little money too. And then also the other side. So whether it be the buyer or the seller, mm -hmm. right? That is the very, very, very last option, right? Yeah. And so I've had instances where uh, my buyer client um, was during option period, and they said we're not we're not budging at all. We're at six ten, and the seller was like six fifteen is the lowest we can go. Like we're not going any lower. This was during the the market where it was really really hot, um, and so I'm not going to lose. So. Um, 80% of something is better than 0% of nothing. And so you really do have to think back. Okay. I think you switch your number. I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, so 80, it's 80%. like having 50% of a, of a watermelon is better than a hundred percent of a grape. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to put 1500 bucks. I'm going to ask the lender to put up 1500 bucks and I'm going to ask the other side to put 1500 bucks so that we can figure out a solution to get it closed. Now that is a very last resort and I fight it. I fight it. I fight it, but I'm not going to lose out on a deal because of that. Yeah. And I mean, if you start setting the precedent that you're just going to give out stuff like that's also, I don't want referrals that way. I don't want referrals of, Oh yeah, Jordan gave me this kickback. So you should work with him for that. Like, I don't, I don't want that to be why people want to work with me. Um, discount agents give discount service. Yeah. Typically. I mean, you can ask any of my clients or John's clients. When you call me, I'm going to answer. I'm going to find out whatever the information is that you're seeking. I'm going to get it to you in a timely manner. And I'm going to service you at a very high level. You cannot say the same for discount realtors. You may only be able to reach them from eight to five, yeah. nine to five. Um, I answer questions all the time. I answer a day and night, midnight. If I'm up, like it doesn't matter if my clients reach out to me. And that's part of why I like, I don't give out discounts because I'm not a discount realtor. That makes you valuable. You know, and you have to value yourself to a certain level. You have to uh, set that precedent of standard. And so when you discount yourself, you're lowering that value. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But we gave you so much information on this podcast, very tactical, very strategical, um, and like actually things that you need to do on every single uh, buyer that you represent. This was a very practical one. Yeah. This is very like real life when you're actually doing real estate stuff, what it looks like. Yeah. So we hope that you found it useful. Um, I know it'll, it'll save you some trouble. I, I hope that some of the things you heard will again, prevent some heartache for you or, or help you set a better precedent for your clients. Let us be the people that have experienced the heartache so that you can learn from our heartache and not experience it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so again, like John said earlier, if you learned anything in this podcast, please like us, comment, uh, let us give us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Write us a review on Spotify, on Apple Music. Uh, it helps us. We want to know if this information is useful to you. And, uh, you know, again, it helps us. It helps us keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. And so share it with a, a fellow realtor or someone who's just interested in like what's going on in real estate. We want to be a resource for you guys. So, um, one quick thing, uh, I'm going to be doing a class on the end of February. Um, the date hasn't been set, uh, but I know it's going to be 28th, 29th, and it's going to be, uh, 13 ways to make money in real estate. And, uh, usually these classes, they sell out and it's standing room only, but, um, just be on the lookout for that. Absolutely. More value to be provided. Keep an eye out for if you're here in the Austin area. 
Anything else, man? Nope, that's it. All right, guys. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you on the next one.